Yeah, first welcome and thank you so much, Michael, for joining my podcast. And um, yeah, it's super exciting to talk about research with you. I think it's a topic um, you're working on that is really, really important um, for both the community here in Scandinavia, where we're doing this podcast today, but also around the world. And um, I've been talking to people in the US about um, parental um, involvement, father involvement, and um, in Switzerland, where I'm from, and um, yeah, where we got a father leave now, finally, after fighting for it for many, many years. Um, but yeah. uh, that said, I would actually like to give you the word and maybe introduce yourself a little bit and then, yeah, we'll dive into your research and, and how things are going during this very particular time. Uh, sure, so my name is Michael Wells and I'm a researcher at Karolinska Institutet in Sweden. Uh, and I, my research mostly focuses on uh, new parents, expectant and new parents uh, and the support that they receive from uh, pregnancy through early childhood, maybe around age five. Uh, and I often look at not just what professional support they need and want and receive, but also how it affects them. So especially like in relation to their mental health, uh, the co-parenting relationship and uh, the parents' ability to bond with their infant. Yeah which is really really important especially during this time where so many things are so uncertain right when we don't know how how the world looks like for the for the next coming month even even if we thought this oh it's going to be a new year right and then uh, not so much so yeah um but how how do how does um the the pandemic affect your your research in terms of um yeah, everything, literally. Well, it's actually completely um, changed the research in a lot of ways, even starting from recruitment. So for example, um, there are new ethical regulations that have nothing to do with the pandemic, but have to do with GDPR uh, uh, regulations and how you can recruit people. I often recruit uh, through social media efforts. Yeah. And uh, there's a discussion about, I often like to show pictures of fathers. Um, for example, if I'm researching fathers or pictures of moms when I'm researching moms, rather than a, a neutral picture, because mm -hmm. we find that um, fathers especially don't like filling out surveys to, relative to moms. Uh, and uh, one of my research interests is how to, you know, figuring out ways to get fathers to actually complete research surveys so that we know something about them, especially fathers from lower income areas or uh, immigrant fathers, or you know, fathers with varied backgrounds that aren't your typical uh, well-educated uh, native born, uh, yeah, highly educated father. Um, right. So, so but, but uh, the efforts have been, yeah, greatly, uh, <laughs> problematic now mm -hmm. uh, because of, of GDPR that there's less um, understanding of how you can use images on social media uh, that yeah. because they could go worldwide um, maybe you don't have the copyright license for uh, the whole world so right now at least at my institution uh, they've they've they have stopped all uh, sponsored advertisements on social media uh, and it's been like that for the entire fall mm -hmm. uh, and now through January uh, 
Um, so I haven't been able to recruit more people, which I had planned to do. I had planned to recruit a whole, a third cohort to my study um, in November. And since September, we haven't been able to do anything. So it's, it's been a little unfortunate. And then of the people who, who you could recruit, uh, it's harder to reach people these days. Uh, another way of, of normally recruiting people is through um, either midwives or child health nurses, pediatrician offices, you know, wherever, <clears throat> wherever, they, wherever new parents would receive clinical support. Yeah. And if fathers can't come to those visits, right. it's very hard to recruit them. Um, one of the things that I've, I've found in my research is uh, we get a lot better response rate if we go to the father directly Mm -hmm. rather than asking through the mother to, uh, to get the father's uh, response. I, I've had a very interesting discussion with a professor from Yale University who is working on father involvement in, in um, the US. And he said something about maternal gatekeeping and that that has been a very crucial part in um, fathers not being that involved in the family, in the in the childcare, and so on, because the mothers were sort of closing off the opportunity for the fathers to actually be involved. And by by working with fathers, he saw that the um, domestic violence was drastically reduced, especially in these low and middle income. Um, fathers or households. So I thought that was very interesting. And um, I was wondering if you've seen any, any in your research, anything like that as well, when fathers are more involved, if the violence is going down. Uh, I don't research violence specifically. Mm. Uh, so I'll put that caveat on there, but, but I have had to read quite a lot about that topic. And one thing that uh, seems to be very universal, um, as opposed to country specific, is when fathers receive more support, they're less likely to become violent. When you, when you know how to manage your anger, when you know um, how to calm down, those are directly impactful on, on violence. But then you have all the indirect uh, research as well. So for example, why, why might someone be violent against their partner? So we often talk about how violence increases during pregnancy or, or immediately following birth. So why is that? And one of the, one of the more common reasons is because of stress mm -hmm. uh, and not knowing how to cope with that stress, for example, mm -hmm. uh, feeling overwhelmed, fe feeling exhausted, um, being tired and not sleeping as much and therefore more irritable. Uh, so someone who's more on the brink already and, and, uh, and they don't understand why they're stressed or, or they don't, they can't, um, you know, if they receive support from midwives uh, or nurses or doctors or whoever to help tell them about this is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. These are different things that are going on. Um, that helps mentally prepare people for things yeah. uh, so that they can cope when it comes up, when it comes up as a shock, yeah. when it comes up as something new, when it comes up as something that they were completely unaware of, then they start, then, then they're more likely to lash out. Right. Uh, and if, if they're well prepared, if they're well educated, if they understand um, what's going to happen or how they can seek support or who they can get support from, uh, should something come up, should something arise, then 
uh, it leads to less uh, domestic violence. So to me, it, it actually quite worries me uh, for the sake of the family to discount fathers or to not invite them to prenatal visits mm. or to not allow them to spend the night in postnatal care units or not have them come to child health visits because they need that information. They need that yeah, information exactly. for their own knowledge. They need yeah. that information to cope. And for the small minority of fathers who actually do abuse, uh, I think that we could reduce that number. I don't think it would be eliminated just by receiving um, support about parenting and, and pregnancy, but I think that it would reduce it right. uh, to, to know what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I did an interview study this fall with, um, or this summer actually, over the, the pandemic about um, pregnant women's experience in Sweden and they, they really highly addressed the importance of their partner and how they were finding it very, very difficult that he was not involved in or was not welcome at the, both the antenatal care, but also the uncertainty whether he could be part of the delivery and um, so they, that was a big, big issue. This is in a Swedish um, study during, and as you said, like stress is re increasing the risk for domestic violence. And if we have already a more stressful environment due to this pandemic, and then we exclude the most stabilizing person in that time, how difficult it is um, to, for, for all, all of them involved. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, the mom is going through things by herself and not with her partner. And time after time, paper after paper, study after study, it, it keeps coming out that the most important person in the mom's life is her partner. Yeah. It makes sense. That's who she relies on. That's who she goes to. That's the person she talks to every day. They, they need to be on the same page. They, they, they want to work together. They want to... Um, uh, to go through the whole process together. And exactly. if, if, if she is alone, not only is it a more emotionally, uh, psychologically uh, stressful for her, um, potentially damaging or traumatic for her to not have a partner there. Absolutely. I've heard about several cases of people going to ultrasound and it wasn't a routine screening. They were they, it wasn't a routine screening, but then they ended up finding an abnormality. And that's very difficult to cope with no matter what situation you're in. And then to find that out without your partner being there, mm. uh, to not have someone uh, to talk through it, to have a shoulder to cry on, to have to, to go home by yourself. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me, we, we, in Sweden at least, we gather very little data on violence against men, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if more women started hitting men during this time period as well, Yeah, uh, because they're also getting overly stressed by not to having their partners be there. They're also not being able to cope as much as they otherwise would have. Um, it's a tough time for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I would expect violence overall to increase. Um, yeah, and maybe not even physical violence only, but also psychological violence. You know, so yes, and verbal abuse and so on. Abuse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I've, so I've can, been- You can, can pick picture a mom being very frustrated uh trying to explain to the the partner about uh, something that's happening and the partner is not getting it he's not understanding because he's missed out on all this education mm -hmm. and 
the mom's uh, having a hard pregnancy, something's going on, and she just lets it loose and and starts uh, verbally attacking him. Or you know, she's always <clears throat> she's losing sleep a lot too during the night. And you just add on one more thing and one more thing and Absolutely. one more thing, and eventually it's gonna break the camel's back, as we say. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. We, I, I think you maybe know that Eva and I have started to do these uh, online seminars for um, pregnant women during the pandemic, where we have um, been working with this Mama to Mama to have a Q&A hour where pregnant women and postpartum women can actually um, ask questions that they have in relation to um, mental health and, and also domestic violence has been a topic over the holidays. And um, yeah, it, it's a way at least to try and, and provide some sort of support during this time but, so if you're up to, we should maybe include you as well and have you talk to fathers. Maybe we could um, suggest that actually in, in, as one of the topics to follow if you're up. Yeah, of course I'm up for it. It, it. What's always blown my mind in any kind of research is, is any emphasis on one group over another group. Uh, I, I, I just, I've never ever understood this concept it, yes, a pregnant mom is the more important uh, person or has the more clinical uh, focus. And I think most people understand that and, and agree with that support. But that doesn't mean that fathers don't have their own clinical needs. That doesn't mean that fathers don't also, or whoever the non-birthing parent is, but it doesn't mean that they don't um, need support and need advice and need someone to talk to and and you mentioned uh, mother to mother. Why wouldn't you need a father to father, or even, or even a mixed pair of one mom and one dad? You know, but who aren't a couple who talk and share advice and share ideas and stories and so on. People need others to lean on. Yeah. There, there's a common English expression that it takes a village to raise a child. So only to give support to yes. one gender, only to give support to one sex, to, to whoever the birthing mother is. Um, is a disservice to the whole family unit. Yeah. It's probably a disservice only to the child um, that they're going to be missing out. Absolutely. And I think it also helps uh, maintain uh, a status quo of keeping women raising children. If right. women are always so the ones who, who get the support, yeah. if they're the ones who, who meet all the medical professionals, if they're the ones mm -hmm. who meet other moms in, in these kind of support groups, and dads don't get any of those things, Yeah. then she is the expert. She knows everything. Yeah, she has all the contacts yeah. with the healthcare center. She's the one who's home with the child. She so is, and that just perpetuates it. So if you want a gender equal society where both parents take care of the kid, you need to be equitable in uh, the kinds of support that you give people. Right. And fathers often need even more support than moms because yeah. they lack that experience. They haven't babysat as kids. They, they, they haven't joined mommy groups, um, you know, on Facebook and, and have learned different things from other parents. They might need even more support uh, than your average mom yeah. to, just to get them at an equal level of parenting. So, right. And I think you addressed something very important about the, the dealing with emotions and this emotion regulation issues with, with like anger management and so on. And um, I, this is only anecdotal. I haven't done any research on it, but it was kind of um, sort of 
in my face when many of my friends and, and sort of acquaintances shared how their partner was more depressed and more sort of having a hard time with the pandemic comparing to the women. And I wonder if there is actually some level of exactly the fact that women have all their connections, they have their friends they can talk to, they have all these networks that are already established to talk about feelings and, and stress and, and so on, whereas men usually don't have that. And if they do, they may have it at work when they meet their colleagues, right, and have the opportunity to exchange things there. It doesn't even need to be about feelings, but just to have an exchange. And now everyone is stuck at home or in this very little face-to-face um, -face interaction. And it takes a lot of effort to, and it's also not the nicest to constantly have all these online virtual uh, after work or whatever, right? You want to actually meet someone. So I'm wondering if that is actually an issue as well, if there is more more mental health problems in men during this pandemic because it's a bigger disruption for their sort of their identity as well to be out and working in their um, office and then have their colleagues and talk to them yeah yeah it's tricky it seems to be um a bit dichotomized actually uh from what i've been reading in my own research we 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 did um a second round of data collection um so six months after our first round so at this point the 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 infants are uh between 12 to 24 months so one to two mm -hmm. years old and uh, and that was at the height or the peak of the first wave of coronavirus in sweden so yeah. we did it in may and we could compare may from 2020 versus may from 2019 uh, and see the differences in depression rates. And in, in my data set, we actually found zero uh, difference between the two groups that it hadn't actually increased really? uh, in fathers. Yeah, and, and, and I also asked a colleague in the US because we thought that that was weird. Yeah. Uh, and she had the exact same finding from South Korea. Uh, so they had a, a, a decent data set in South Korea as well. And they, uh, Lainey Jian, uh, who's at Johns Hopkins uh, University, and and they also didn't have any significant findings. Um, hmm. So I thought that, that was interesting. One of the things that I've been uh, reading about is uh, there are people who go over this tipping point, uh, who it does become worse for, and then there is another group of fathers who who actually love being underneath uh, COVID rules because now they are at home and they can they they've been craving to spend more time with their family. But work has, okay. has stopped that. And by working yeah. from home, they're able to take a, 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 a coffee break, a fika break, or they're able to have a lunch break and spend time with their family during the day, um, especially with a newborn baby, you know, zero to 12 months, um, when the mom is typically home on parental leave, that they've been able to spend more time and actually become closer as a family uh, and really work together as a co-parenting team, as opposed to, you know, one parent with one child. Um, like it typically is. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out rather than on a group Very. level that certain Absolutely. fathers will really benefit from the, the policies and other fathers yeah. will, will obviously not benefit from it. And I don't know if the average will end up being similar, 
but certainly it changes people but it seems like it could swing one way or the other positive news actually because i okay the people i i know they they weren't new parents so they were more sort of working people and may or may not have children but most of them were were just full in their careers so so yeah wow that's great to hear yeah what what is sort of your your recommendation for our listeners and and also for for sort of maybe more the public health message to go out and and sort of being shared um when it comes to your research well one thing that we're definitely seeing is uh in, in my latest paper we looked at depression rates in fathers and their ability to bond with their infant and the the evidence was very clear in sweden we don't see one person one midwife for the whole uh, care like you often do in other countries or in in other countries you see an obgyn mm. and you maybe have that person for the entire uh, pregnancy and through birth exactly uh, where I, so the reason i mention that is because if you had continuity of care i would expect the results to be even more significant than they are but okay. all of them we see a, in Sweden you see a prenatal midwife you have a midwife for your ultrasound you have a midwife you have a different midwife for labor and birth you have a different midwife for postnatal care all right so you have all these different midwives for different sections and then you have a child health nurse after the child's born between zero to five which also is not a continuity in care either right that one is also different every time you go to the visits more or less. Uh, the child health nurse could be different, but it doesn't have to be. Quite often okay. you have the same child health nurse, um, mm-hmm. except if there are different circumstances like the nurse is on vacation or, or, or the staff or something. Yeah. yeah, it happens. It happens. You can see someone new. Personally, in my personal life, we've seen new ones, but we've also seen the same one multiple times, mm-hmm. kind of like a prenatal midwife you'd see. But anyway, the point is, is that the more support that fathers received from a prenatal midwife, from a labor and birth midwife, from a postnatal midwife, and from the child health nurse, the more support that they receive, the, 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 the less depressed they get and the more bonding they get. Wow. Uh, they also get better co-parenting as well. Mm-hmm. So just being able to see and have access to a midwife or a nurse or an OBGYN uh, should lead to less depressive symptoms in fathers, mm-hmm. should lead to greater bonding. And of course, with bonding, we found a, a better effect with child health nurses than we did with the midwives. Mm-hmm. Um, bonding wasn't particularly strong during pregnancy per se, but, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, the more support that they had after the baby was born. Um, so the people who had high amounts of support versus low amounts of support, the people with high, high support, people who could attend visits, mm-hmm. they had better bonding with their child. They had better co-parenting. They had less depression. So I think that that's a good message that, um, that one, clinical professionals are very important for mm-hmm. fathers, uh, but they need to be involved. They need to be invited. They need to attend and they need to receive support. Yeah. And if any of those things aren't happening, if they're not invited, then they don't come. We also found that uh, when fathers are directly invited by the clinical professional, they are more satisfied with their care 
than if they came by themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a visit. My baby is uh, two months old and uh, who's going to take him, mom or me? Okay, the dad says, I'll take him. So the dad goes. Uh, that, that, when, when they decide to go on their own, they're the least satisfied with their care. Hmm. Uh, and, and in the middle is when they get invited by the mom. So the mom says, I want you to go to the visit. So the best, the best way of the, the thing that gets them the most satisfied is if the clinical professional directly invites mm-hmm. the dad and lets them know that they're welcomed and they're wanted and they're appreciated to be there. So I think that that's a good message Very that good listeners message. can take home. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, thank you so much. This was very insightful and very interesting. And I think I, I personally got a lot out of our conversation and I, I really hope everyone out there too. And um, yeah, let's do this soon again. I think it's very interesting and very inspiring. Thanks very much.